Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Welcome again to Bible Center. So great to have you here. My name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here, and we're in the middle of a series. So I'm going to go ahead and invite you to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Depending on which translation you use, we're going to start in chapter 1 in verse 7. Uh, Before we do, just a couple of invites to make. One is that we have a baptism class today right after this service. It's going to be over on my left, your right, right out those doors in the living room. I'll be there. Pastor Steve Steve Neal will be there. So if you have questions about baptism, we would love to answer those questions and to help walk you through the process. We're going to have baptisms in March and April. We'd love to have you be a part of that. The second announcement has to do with Celebrate Recovery. It begins this Tuesday, March the 5th, right here at 7 o'clock. I'd love to have you jump in with us for that, see what it's about. Uh, confidentiality is a priority. There's more information on the website if you'd like to hear more about Celebrate Recovery and jump in with us on Tuesday. We're in the middle of a series on relationships called Relationship Goals, and I have several goals myself for the series. One is for us to know God more. That's always a good approach whenever we go to the Bible, to know the God who wrote and inspired the Song of Songs. The second goal I have is for us to understand what the Bible teaches about relationships, about dating, about marriage, about sex, uh, all that we see in the book of Song of Songs for us to be able to learn God's perspective. Just a little bit of a warning. This is a PG-13 sermon. Uh, throughout the Song of Songs. I'm not trying to be edgy. I'm not cool enough to be edgy. I'll just let you know that. Uh, But the book itself is a bit edgy, and so I wouldn't want any children to be hurt in the process of teaching God's Word. So just want to let you know that so you can take your children out appropriately. I'd like you to get the most out of the series as possible. One way to do that is by studying the book itself. I would encourage you to read through Song of Solomon every day as part of your devotions. There's eight chapters. It flows quickly. It reads quickly. I think it'll be a help to you. We've also accumulated some resources, dozens of resources uh, on the website. There's conferences. There's books. There's free videos. Everything is there at BibleCenterChurch.com. Check it out. Take advantage of it. Uh, Like I said last week, my wife and I attended the conference on the top left. It's a weekend to remember. Ours was down in Charlotte, but they're all over the country. It's something you can do on your own or with a group of friends. I think it will be a help. I want to start today by telling you a story about the worst yet best date Sarah and I have ever been on. One of the worst and yet at the same time, one of the best. I texted her this week and I said, honey, I need a story uh, to start with. What's, what would you consider one of our worst maybe and or our best date? And this fell in really both categories. It had been a while since we'd gone on a date. It had been several weeks. And so she found tickets on Facebook through a friend for us to go to the WVU versus Texas game. This was fall 2017. And so she was excited to have landed the tickets. She looked at the calendar. There was nothing scheduled. She said, get your sermon done before Saturday. We're going to go. We're going to have a great time. So I knew I had to like bring my A game to this thing. You know, I had to wear the expensive cologne that day. I had to wear the nice WVU hat. Not the one you mow grass with, but the nice WVU hat. So we were all ready to go. We got all the way up to Weston and I realized that I forgot the tickets, right? 
so you're looking at the MapQuest or you're looking at whatever your, your phone, it gets on MapQuest anymore. And I figured out it's several hours back to Charleston and back up just to that point at Weston. So we decided to call one of our daughters and ask, him, ask her to text us a picture of the tickets in hopes that they'll let us through the gate. And so we put on our best sad face and we walk up to the gate. The game was just beginning. I showed them the picture. I explained it. I may or may not have even dropped the fact that I'm a pastor um, and, and just hoping that they'll let us through the gate. Well, sure enough, they let us through. The ticket person checked with their boss, let us through. So one strike against us was we almost didn't get in because of the tickets. The second strike was that it rained the entire day, not just kind of like a little bit of rain, but it's the kind of like raining in your poncho kind of day where you wear a poncho and it really doesn't matter if you did or didn't. The third strike against us that day was there's a lady that had had about one drink or maybe 20 drinks too many. And she sat down the row from us just up behind us. And she tried to kiss me when my wife went to the bathroom (laughs) and um, asked me to hold her purse while she went to the bath, Just, just random stuff. And then we lost the game, 28 to 14. And so really, according in writing, that was a terrible date, but it ended up being one of the best. We had a great time. We laughed and joked on the way home. My wife pretended that she was that lady trying to kiss me. It was, we had a blast. Um, And we look forward to more dates like it. It kind of gives us a picture that life's not perfect. Life is messy, but we look forward to many, many years by God's grace of being together in that way. And that brings me to the main point today. It's simply this, the best dates declare the best is yet to come. The best dates declare the best is yet to come. Now, I really, really want you to believe this. With all my heart, I want you to believe this. If you're married, I want you to believe this for your marriage. I want you to believe that the days ahead can be better than the days behind no matter how many obstacles you've encountered, no matter how many hurdles you've faced in your marriage, I hope that by faith, you'll try to make tomorrow in your marriage better than today. If you're single and you're dating or you're single and you wanna be dating, I really want you to believe this. I want you to believe that God's word has the answers for dating, for courtship, for marriage, for sex. And I want you to believe that God is good. It is important to me that you believe this. And no matter who you are, how old you are, how young you are, as the church, I really want you to believe this. Because as I said last week, this story we're gonna read is a beautiful illustration of Jesus' love for the church. I'll explain all that in a few minutes. So today's sermon is really 10 ways that you can have better dates. It's gonna move quickly. I would encourage you to take notes. There's no way that I would ask you to try to do all 10. There's no way I can do all 10. But I'm gonna ask you this morning to pick one, one that the Lord really speaks to your heart about, one that you can try to apply to your life this week. Let's dive in together. Number one, take initiative. Number one, take initiative. Notice chapter one, verse seven. She says, Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? This young lady wants to know where he is going. 
This is a poetic way of saying, where are you going to be on Friday? Because wherever you're going to be, I'm going to be there too. She takes initiative. Notice her confidence. Sometimes we get the idea that women are always to be quiet or that women shouldn't be confident. But this word, this book is inspired by God. And he is celebrating this woman taking the initiative. She is a confident woman. It's risky. She doesn't know what his response is going to be. But notice chapter 1, verse 8. He responds this way, kind of playfully. If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. Now, depending on your translation, you probably have over in the left-hand margin different descriptions of who's talking. So the NIV says that this is a group of friends who are talking in verse 8. If you have the ESV, it says it's him, the man, Solomon, who is talking. The left-hand margin of your Bible is not inspired. Uh, that part is just subjective. It's what commentators think who might be speaking at that time. I personally believe that the ESV commentary has it right, that it's the man speaking in verse 8. He's playful with her. This is what we call reciprocity. She's kind of laid it out there. I'm interested in you. Where are you going to be Friday night? And he could have shut it down. Like he was under no obligation to reciprocate. But instead, he flirts back appropriately. Reciprocity is important. Sometimes a young man will say, Pastor Matt, how do I know if I'm supposed to date that person? I say, well, ask and see if they say yes, right? If they say yes, it's a good chance that you get to go for a date. If one person in the relationship is talking about marriage and the other person in the relationship is talking about more chicken nuggets, that's not reciprocity, right? Saying the same thing. If you're dating, I want to encourage you to go for it. I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're looking to date, I want to encourage you to use initiative, to take initiative and ask that young man, to ask that young lady out or to ask them if they want to hang out. Take initiative. For some reason in the church, there's this timidity, especially among young professionals, young adults. There's this timidity. Well, I don't know if I'll ask. If I ask, she might say no. She might say no, but she might say yes, Right? And even for you young ladies, this is an opportunity, a lady of any age, for you to ask and say, hey, you want to go out Friday night? My pastor told me it was okay if I asked, <laughs> right? On the authority of God's word. If you're married, my encouragement to you is this, try. <laughs> Especially you men, just, just try, right? As men, this doesn't come as easy to us. So we got to take some initiative to ask our wives out for a date, to date them now like we did when we were actually dating. And for you ladies, please help us. We need all the help we can get. Number two, what else can we do? Deepen your friendship. Number two, deepen your friendship. He's talking in verse nine. Notice what he says. I liken you, my darling. And then the verse continues. If you're taking the word, if you're taking notes, the word darling means associate, companion, or friend. The Latin Vulgate translates this word amica from when we get our word amicable. And so it's referring to their friendship. I think the NIV translation is a great translation. It's my favorite for preaching. But I really think the NIV gets it wrong here in verse 9. 
they translate it darling, but I wish they would have translated it friend because that's what the Hebrew word literally means. This couple had a friendship before they ever had a romance. Notice chapter two, verses eight and nine. We see the same thing. Their friendship deepens. She says, listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. Now, if we don't understand this as poetry, he sounds like a creeper, right? <laughs> sounds like a peeping Tom. But again, this is poetic language. She, she is saying, he's coming after me. He's pursuing me. He's interested in going deeper in our relationship. And she wants the same thing. Friendship is important to any relationship. Because you see, if you start a relationship without friendship, there's not a whole lot to build on when life gets hard, when the babies come, when financial stress comes, when life gets spinning out of control, you've got that friendship. God can greatly use that to get you through some dark spots. Now, I want to say through this series, my wife and I are not the example to follow in every area. Matter of fact, I don't think any of us are the example to follow in every area. When I preach, I never want to give the impression that, hey, I've got this figured out. Now you need to get it figured out too. I'm on the journey with you. Sarah and I have been married 18 and a half years, and they have been 18 and a half wonderful years, but there's been times where it's been hard. And so what God has taught us, I want to share with you, and I hope you'll share what you've learned with someone else as well. But I am thankful for the friendship that God gave us. Here's a picture of us, 1997. Um, actually, the one on the left is 97. The one on the right is 99, right after we got engaged. We were really, really good friends in high school and college. And as I think back yesterday, I was watching uh, The Office with one of my daughters or a couple of days ago. We were watching you know, Pam and Jim and their friendship. And I typically you know, don't get all emotional, but I couldn't quite help because I'm just thinking about, God, you've been so good to give me a friendship. If you're dating, please do not skip this step. Do not skip this step. Sometimes sex and intimacy is like a pill you can take where you can skip genuine intimacy for physical intimacy. But I promise you, it will catch up with you. It will catch up with you. Build that friendship. If you're married, work to rebuild constantly that friendship. Friendship and marriage isn't like an internet subscription. It doesn't automatically renew. You've got to continually adjust and continually work at it. I think about different seasons of life that we've been in. Early when we were married, I knew what she liked. She knew what I liked. But we've changed a little bit in 18 and a half years. As we've had kids, if they've gotten older, one of them's turning 16 this week, we realize that we're not the same people we were when we got married. And so we've had to adjust and we work on our friendship. You can do it by the grace of God. I made a note here. A friend of mine called me this week from Louisville. He and his wife had been having some challenges. And for the first time, they went to counseling, which I'm so thankful for. I don't know what the stigma is to counseling. It's a wonderful gift. We've benefited from it. Many of you have benefited from it. He went to counseling for the first time and he said, Matt, we figured out what's wrong. He said, we love each other and that's never going to change. He goes, but we realized 
we just no longer like each other and we don't know what happened. So we're going to work on liking each other just as much as we work on loving each other. I think those are good words for all of us. Number three, make sincere compliments. Make sincere compliments. Notice what he says about her in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare. It's a young female horse, female horse, among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your necks with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. I do not recommend you leaving church today and calling your girl a horse. That's never a good idea. I actually read some of the church fathers this week. We're talking about 15, 1800 years ago. And one, one dude wrote this. He was serious. I mean, he said he believed that Solomon was comparing her hips and haunches to that of a horse. Don't do that, okay? If you get nothing else out of this sermon, do not do that. But don't think about this being necessarily a visual illustration, but one of value. He's comparing his girl to something that's really, really valuable. Uh, this, this mare would have been expensive. And so he's saying, just like you would say, hey, your hair looks like a million bucks. He was saying, my girl is valuable to me. I also read this week that there was an ancient war strategy where typically chariots were pulled with stallions. And so the enemy at times would release a young mare in heat in order to distract the stallions so the chariots wouldn't go where they're supposed to go. It reminded me after we got married, we worked on a horse farm for about three months. The guy who owned the machine shop where I worked also owned a horse farm. And he let me work there with my new wife for, for several months. It was a lot of fun. We actually got riding shoes. It was, it was fun. I remember in one instance, the, the caretaker took the, the, the stallion, put him in a separate barn. And I asked, why are you putting the stallion in the barn? And why not just put him in another corral? And he goes, no, you don't understand about this stallion. This stallion would walk through barbed wire to get to some of these mares at this time, this particular time. So we're going to lock him in the barn so he can't go where he wants to go. So Solomon is saying, essentially, girl, I would walk through barbed wire for you. I love you. You are mine. I'm complimenting you. She responds with compliments of her own. Verse 12. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved to me is a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved to me is a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. She's just crushing on her man right here. They're not actually together yet. They're not married yet. They're not in bed together yet. But she uses this illustration. Back then, instead of having just a bottle of perfume that you would spray on your body, women often had a little pouch they wore on their necklace. And in that pouch were, were dried blossoms or petals of flowers. And it created a scent. Young women would experiment with the flowers and the spices to get their particular scent. And so 24 hours a day, they were smelling this particular scent. And she is saying, you, Solomon, are like that to me. I can't get you off of my mind. Notice her nickname for him in verse 13. She calls him her beloved. Her beloved. This was her term of endearment for him, used almost 30 times. And then in verses 15 and 16, they continue 
this compliment, love fest. Verse 15, how beautiful are you, my darling, he says. How beautiful your eyes are doves. She responds, how handsome are you, my beloved. Oh, how charming. Ten times in this book, he calls her beautiful. That's his nickname for her. So it's darling and beautiful. Chapter two in verse one, she says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys, north of present-day Tel Aviv. It was known for its fields of wildflowers. She's saying, I'm a wildflower among wildflowers. And he says, no, he disagrees. Verse two, no, you're actually like a lily among thorns. In other words, to compare you with all other women isn't to compare you with other wildflowers, but I'm comparing you to thorns. If you're single or you're married, if you're dating or you've been married for years, I can't overstate the importance of compliments. Using your words to encourage someone else. Now, some of us have this as our love language, words of affirmation. So we like words and we give words. That's me. As a preacher, I do words for a living, right? And even if you're not gifted so much in words, I would still encourage you to try to find things and ways to compliment your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. A good word can go a very, very long way. Now, please don't make up something just to say it, right? Just saying, I love you, over and over again is not a compliment, right? Get specific. What is it about that person that you love? If they don't look like Brad Pitt, don't say you look like Brad Pitt, okay? But find out what it is. For some women, it's hands. You, you love his hands. I don't know what it is about ladies and some ladies in hands, but you like it, well, compliment his hands. If it's his hair, compliment his hair. I'm more of a teeth kind of guy, right? I've always said my wife's teeth are sexy, right? I can't believe I just said that in church, but I did. I just said that in church. Dr. Grebe does a very, very good job. Thank you, Dr. Grebe. So whatever it is, find out and compliment things that bless you about the other person. I read this note this week. Someone wrote, I don't ask that my husband be romantic. I just want him to be civil. She went on to say, I wish he would treat me like a waitress at Cracker Barrel. He treats the waitress with kindness, even saying please and thank you. But I never get that kind of kindness. Men, if that's you, just repent. Ask God to give you kind words to say to your wife. Compliment is one way to better date. Number four, be creative. Number four, be creative. Notice the creativity in verses 16 and 17. She says, our bed is verdant, which means lush, green, like grass. The beams of our house are cedars, our rafters are firs. She's clearly talking about the outdoors. We're going to learn in chapter 4 that she was from Lebanon, and so Lebanon was known for its mighty cedars. And so what she's saying is, hey, we're, we're outside. You get the picture almost like this overtones of a, an, an example of the Garden of Eden, which I think is on purpose. But practically, they're probably in a park. They're in a public place. They're probably having a picnic. They're out where lovers should be. They're being creative. 
but they're also being safe. I want to encourage you, whether you be married or dating, uh, to date creatively. This is God's idea. Yeah, dinner and a movie is awesome. If you haven't been to dinner and a movie in a while, do dinner and a movie. But if your go-to is dinner and a movie like every week, it might be a good idea to Google like creative ways to date and get ideas. We're creative in our work. We're creative in other aspects of life. We can be creative in our dating. Maybe it's going for a walk in Canal State Forest. Maybe it's Googling the restaurants in Charleston and going to a new restaurant. Maybe it's going for a walk along the boulevard. Maybe it's taking a trip. Whatever it is, date creatively. Number five, there's a fifth piece of advice from Solomon. Make the other person feel safe. Make the other person feel safe. Chapter two, verses three and four. She says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade. His fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall Let his banner over me be love. This idea of shade. Remember we said last week that she worked out in the fields and she was tan. Her skin was burned. Her skin was dried. She wasn't like the rich ladies who were able to be fair-skinned, but she had to go out and she had to work because her father had probably passed away. And so shade was a precious commodity to her. And so here we see in verse three, she's like, Solomon is like shade on a sunny day. The idea of a banquet hall, that's where you would go with somebody that you enjoyed. And she's saying, hey, take me with you. Take me out dancing. Take me out to eat. Let people know that we're together. And she says it again with banner. Let your banner over me be love. This is her way of saying, change your Facebook status. DTR, define the relationship. And this is important, first, in a dating relationship. If you're with someone who who is unwilling to define the relationship, you might want to find out why. Because if they're not willing to define it, there could be a bad reason they're not willing to define it. If you're dating somebody and they're abusive in any way, physically, emotionally, verbally, get out now. Get out now. Life is too short and you're created in the image of God. You don't have to take that. Get out now. When we think about marriage relationships and ways that we can create safety in marriage, you might ask your husband or your wife, how can I make you feel safe? We got married back in 2000 and we went to Pigeon Forge for a honeymoon. And I'm taking my brand new wife to a really fancy restaurant, Wendy's. And we're in Pigeon Forge, and I'll never forget, she just like takes my arm and she says, put it around my, my waist. And she wanted me in the Wendy's line just to like let everybody know that she was mine. And I'm like, why would I do that? And I'm trying to figure out what number I want. And I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do two things at once. Still can't. But that's what she likes. And, and I forget it sometimes. And I want to remember more. But, but men, treat your wife, you're a thermos. If you're a dude, you're a thermos. But your wife, she's like a, a precious, uh, she's like a precious bottle of wine. Treat her preciously. Women, treat your man with respect. Treat him with respect. I'm learning in, in 16 years of being a pastor that most affairs don't start with sex in mind. Most affairs start with respect in mind. 
Respect your man. Love him. Encourage him. He may not be Superman, but that's all right. Just respect him anyway. See God's grace in his life. If you're in a marriage relationship where abuse is taking place, I want to speak to this for a moment. There is never a time, there is never an excuse, married or otherwise, where a woman should have to take abuse from a man, no matter how many years you've been married. If you're in a marriage relationship and you're being abused, get somewhere safe today. Get somewhere safe today. Let us know, let your pastors know, let your friends know. Get somewhere safe so the other person can get help. You're created in the image of God. Hey, if you're a man and you're verbally abusive to your wife and you've flown off the handle, I've done it, you've done it, hey, get some help. Get some men in your life that can hold you accountable and can help you and pray for you so you can treat your wife with the respect that she deserves. Make the other person feel safe. That's your job, and God will honor it. We're almost done. The next five move quickly. Look with me at number six. How else can we date better? Number six, save God's gift of sex for the right time. Save God's gift of sex for the right time. In verses five and six, she says this. Strengthen me with raisins. This sounds so weird to us. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. Now, verse five is a request. In the Hebrew, verse six is a request also. It's not translated that way in NIV for some reason, but I think it should be. His left arm, or may his left arm be under my head and his right arm embrace me. What is she talking about here? Sexual tension is increasing. She wants that. He wants that. And so she's, what's the deal with the raisin cakes and the apples? Well, in the ancient world, they were aphrodisiacs. It was a way for the natural sugars. If your diet was celery and jerky, kind of like their diet was, low sugar, any little bit of sugar would really get the juices flowing. And she's like, hey, I want some of this. David, King David, when they came back from battle, King David would give his army raisin cakes and apples and say, go make babies. So evidently that had the effect that they wanted it to have. But she hits the brakes in verse seven. She hits the brakes. This is so important. Verse seven, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Notice verse 17. He's coming on strong. Verse 17, she says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, in other words, until morning, don't hang around here in the, at nighttime, in the morning, turn is the word, very strong word, turn, my beloved, and be like the gazelle or the young stag on the rugged hills. This is a nice way of saying, get out of here. Go work out. Go for a run. Go make some money. Get ready for our wedding. Go do something, but you can't stay here, mister, because it's dark and things are happening. Now, it's important for us not to think that God is sexually repressed. When we look at the scriptures, there's this, this view that somehow Christians are sexually repressed. But when you read next week, 
chapter 4 of Song of Solomon, you, we quickly learned God is not sexually repressed. God invented this. He created it. It's a gift for our enjoyment and for his glory. If you're here, you're not married, and you're tempted in this area, or you've already enjoyed or practiced this type of relationship, let me encourage you. Ask for the grace of God to do what she did and resist. You say, well, well, Matt, we want to be intimate with one another. I get it. I understand. But there's an important step that I'm afraid we'll skip if we jump to the physical intimacy too soon. And that is emotional intimacy and spiritual intimacy. See, sex is a lot like a pill. You can take it and all of a sudden you feel intimate for however long it lasts. You feel intimate. But if we skip building the friendship and we skip building, growing together spiritually and emotionally, one day it will wear off. We will get old and our bodies won't work like they once did. Occasionally we get asked questions in marriage counseling. Well, well Pastor Matt, what about sex before marriage if we know we're gonna get married anyway? Does it really matter? And I just want to plead with you as your friend and as your pastor. Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Next week, we'll hear, as long as you agree and she agrees, it is a gift from God. But everything outside of that, God says, I will judge. You say, well, that's going to make me want to get married faster. Absolutely. That's why the Apostle Paul says it's better to marry than to burn. Now, if you have no desire to be married, no desire for this physical relationship, Paul says that's a gift from God. Enjoy it because not very many people have that gift. But if that's you, make plans for it. Work for it. Push for it. We have like 100 pastors around this place. We're happy to marry you. We would love to. But God says, wait. Don't rush it. Let love blossom in its right time. At this point of the message, maybe you're feeling like, hey, I've already blown it. What in the world does this message have for me? I've already crossed that line. I feel guilty. I'm already looking at my clock. Can't wait to get out of here. Let me encourage you that all of us in this room have experienced some kind of sexual brokenness. Every one of us in the room. It's not a matter of the person sitting next to you, but you and me have experienced it. Even if we haven't acted on it, God says if we lust after another person who's not our spouse, it's as if we've committed adultery, Matthew chapter five. So all ground is level, I believe, in this room. Every one of us have messed up, every one of us. And if that's you, remember what Jesus did in John chapter eight to the woman who was caught in adultery. Group of religious leaders, they grab her and they throw her at Jesus' feet and they say, the law says she should die. But what do you say? And I love what Jesus did. Jesus gets down and he writes in the dirt. I don't know what he wrote. I just think it's cool. I hope that someday while we're having a picnic out here, somebody will ask me a spiritual question so I can just write in the dirt. <laughs> you know, maybe... Maybe he wrote the names of all of the women they had had adultery with. Maybe he wrote the names of all the women they had lusted after. Even if they hadn't acted, we don't know what he wrote. But whatever he wrote made them all leave. They're like, I'm not sticking around. 
because they were calling for justice, that meant that they themselves would have to be stoned. And Jesus walks over to the woman. And just picture as he looks at her face, dries her tears, wipes off the dirt, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, they're not here. And he said these words, neither do I accuse you, but go and sin no more. Every one of us in this room deserved the cross, but Jesus took it for us. And so from that position, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you new life. He offers you transformation. And he offers you this gift of following his word. And he says, as you follow his word, there is pleasure and joy forevermore. Let us know how we can help. We, we want to help. We love you. And God loves you as well. The last three, you can just fill in your outline and read this on your own. Number seven, spend enjoyable time together. So important. You can see that they enjoyed one another. Number eight, be honest about what distracts you. I so wish we had time just to drill down on this, but we can't. Number nine, reevaluate, rehearse your commitment. Reevaluate, rehearse your commitment. Do it often. Define your relationship if you're dating often. If you're married, watch the old wedding video. For us, pop it in that VHS, watching the old wedding video. Look at marriage pictures around the house. Go and visit some of your old dating places. Number 10, lastly, dream together for the future. Dream together for the future. Here's what I mean by that. It is so healthy for a couple to dream together. Dream about what retirement might be like, about what kids might be like, what grandkids might be like, where you're going to live, what kind of house you're going to have, how you're going to renovate your own house. All these dreams are so great. I encourage you to do it. Dream, dream, dream. But know this. There'll come a day where one of your dreams won't come true. There will come a day when there will be a funeral and somebody's dreams won't come true. You say, well, why in the world would you encourage us to dream? For this reason, all dreams point to the ultimate dream of where one day God will wipe away all tears from our eyes and fulfill every longing that we've ever had. Most of the time in the Bible, we go to God and we go to God and we get a picture of what's supposed to be and then we apply that to humanity. But what I love about the Song of Songs is that for the whole book, God gives us this picture. We look at a physical relationship. We look at a love relationship. We look at a dating relationship. We look at a a sexual relationship. And God says, look at that, study that, figure out what that's about because it's just a picture of my love for you. So here's my encouragement. Remember the only person who can satisfy all of your longings and all of your dreams is the Lord Jesus Christ who died, buried, and rose again. And one day he's coming back and he defines it as an even better feast than Solomon wrote about in Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. This is wedding language. For the wedding of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. That's us, the church. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The best dates declare the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word being so practical. I pray that you would help us to pull away one aspect, just one little piece of advice from the Song of Songs and apply it this week. Lord, help me to do the same thing as not only a pastor, but as a husband, as a father. God, would you help all of us to continually work on our relationships because you're working on us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I've asked Pastor Caleb to sing a, a few lines, a few verses of I Can Only Imagine. Will you take just a minute right there in your seat and imagine what the future marriage feast will be like when you see God face to face and ask him right now in prayer to fulfill all of your longings. If not before, then at least then. Join me in prayer as he sings. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.